fires of a thousand burning suns blazing in the heavens. There is only one. He is our God. Who commands the nations, building up and tearing down, silencing his rivals? There is only one. He is our God. He is our God. Holy, you alone are holy. Matchless in your glory. Holy God. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet most Sunday nights at 6 p.m. 
Ladies, we hope you plan to come to this women's fall get-together at the Clark's home on Saturday, October 21st from 4 to 6 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet in the link. If you're willing to bring food to share, let Curtis Clark know. We hope you plan to come and bring a friend. Fall Fest will be on Saturday, October 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. This event is a community event that is open to anyone with children, and we need your help to make this event a success. First, we need some volunteers to help us manage all the events that day. Please plan to stay for a brief meeting in the cafe after the morning worship gathering today to see how you can help in this area. Second, we need you to invite and encourage others to attend so we can share the gospel with as many people as possible. Thirdly, we need some candy. If you want to donate candy, please do so in the collection box under the sign-up table in the link. Lastly, please pray that God would use this event to further the gospel in our community. Thank you for all your help in making this event successful. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you would like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcblixen.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out an online connections card at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. morning. Thanks for joining us today. We're really glad that you're here. Thanks for gathering with us and worshiping with us this morning. Pastor and Mari greet you. They're currently traveling. They're resting and recharging. So they're really thankful for all of you. They're watching today on the live stream. We're going to go ahead and open in prayer and we'll continue to worship. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather this morning. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to focus on you. Help us to keep you in our minds. Help us to make everything we do today about Jesus. Help us to remember what you did for us, your ultimate sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. Lord, help us to constantly look towards you and to push one another towards you. Lord, please help us through the Holy Spirit to understand truth and to worship in truth this morning. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Lord, through song. Stand together, yeah, and sing out, emphasizing God is our rock. Let's sing this out together. Rock of ages, left for me, left behind myself in thee. Let the water hands of blood from the wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no struggle show? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. While I draw this bleeding breath, 
just left for me, left behind myself in thee. What a great comfort that we have as believers, as God's dear children, that when we run to him, the righteous run into him and they are safe. We are held in his strong, omnipotent, mighty hands. He truly is our rock. And we're reminded in song, this next song we're going to sing, Jesus, strong and kind. That he's not just the fully capable source of refuge and strength that he is to us. But he's also gracious and loving, meeting our needs and taking care of us every single day. Let's sing this out together. Jesus, strong and kind. God in this morning. He is strong, he is kind, and he is always there for us. Great singing this morning. You can be seated.
Wow, that was awesome, guys. Thank you. Hallelujah. I want you to imagine this morning with me, this is going to require a little bit of mental energy on your part, but I want you to imagine that you have gotten up very early this morning, okay? You're beating the sunrise. In fact, you've got some place to be before the sun comes up. If you like to climb mountains, which in Michigan, probably not a big pastime for anybody in the room, you might actually know that for many mountain ascents, if you really want to get up before the weather hits you, you actually get up before the sun does. You put your headlight on and you go for the top. My friend did Long's Peak. I slept in the tent. He got up at two o'clock in the morning to get to the top of the mountain before the sun came up because weather was supposed to come in later in the day. Now, I want you to imagine this because this morning in Psalm 62, which is our passage for today, David is going to describe waiting on the Lord. And the imagery that he uses, today's message is titled, God is the Rock. But the word rock in Hebrew, and we'll dig into this in a moment, doesn't really refer to like a rock that you can hold in your hand. It's not really even a small boulder, but really it is a mountain. It is a large cliff. And when David paints this picture of waiting on the rock, he literally paints a picture in Hebrew that kind of envisions sitting on top of the mountain waiting for God. He's secure on God the rock while waiting for God to act. So I want you to imagine this morning sitting on top of a mountain as the sun peaks over the horizon. The sun, of course, is a great example or a great reminder of God. Only God could create something so spectacular, something so important for life, something so powerful. This is a clear indication of God. But it's also an excellent reminder for really the main idea of Psalm 62, which is waiting on God. Because no matter when you get to the top of that mountain, the sunrise is going to come up when the sunrise comes up. And in the same way, we should all be waiting on God who is going to act at the perfect time. And sometimes that means waiting a long time. Sometimes that means waiting a very short amount of time. But either way, waiting on God is the right thing to do. That's what this passage is going to encourage us about. That's what we want to dig into today. We're actually going to read the middle of the psalm today because in several ways the middle of the psalm actually repeats what the beginning and the end of the psalm says. So we're going to begin today in verse 5. This is what verse 5 through 8 of Psalm 62 says. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation or hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to follow the example and the instructions that we have here in this psalm. Help us to remember that you are the rock, the stronghold that protects us. And that you are protecting us so that you can save us. Help us today to have the patience, the endurance to wait as you enact your perfect plan. And Lord, help us in whatever situations we're facing in our lives right now, help us to wait on you in the ways that we are being called to wait 
right now. Lord, we thank you for your truth in Scripture. Fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning as we dig into truth. Help us to understand what you have for us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, this psalm really is actually kind of unique in that it's actually a psalm that commands some things. Not all psalms really do this. They certainly command worship, but this series is really about God. But what's unique about this psalm is not only does it teach us about God, but it also teaches us some things that we are to do. In fact, David actually gives us three pretty clear commands, wait, take refuge, and trust. And so today I want to talk about these three things and how they work together. Really, this is one of those circumstances where you can't do one without doing all three. You can't really wait without trusting. You can't really trust without taking refuge. You can't do one and leave the other two behind. But they are three distinct things that we want to look at this morning. Really, David just fills this psalm with beautiful imagery in verse 1 and verse 5, which are direct parallels to one another. Verse 1 reads this way. You'll recognize it because it's really the same as verse 5. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Now, this phrase is so full of imagery because in Hebrew, we actually have some really distinct terms, just terms that don't come up very much actually in the rest of our Bible. The terms that David uses here are distinct. For example, the word for wait doesn't just mean like wait, sit around, be bored, but it literally means to wait silently for something to happen. Now, the context of this psalm is unclear. There's two likely points in David's life where this psalm fits in. Of course, it could be another time in his life. But the two most likely times where David wrote this are either while he was on the run from Saul and therefore he was in a very pressing time. Or the other option is when he was on the run from Absalom. These two points from a physical perspective certainly represent the lowest point in David's life. Maybe not the lowest point spiritually, that probably was his sin with Bathsheba, but from a physical perspective, this is when David was at his most vulnerable, feeling most betrayed, and feeling like he had the least options in moving forward. And we want to understand this feeling so that we can understand the advice that David gives us. Now, David here clearly does not have any other options but to rely on God. And that is important to understand because oftentimes it feels like we do have other options, but what David is arguing is you don't. In fact, God and waiting on God is always the correct response to a challenging situation. Now, to wait on God is actually something I think that probably needs some explanation because waiting on God is kind of one of those religious phrases you might hear, but you might ask yourself, what does it mean for my soul to wait upon God? What does that actually look like? Again, this, this idea in Hebrew that's being communicated is silent waiting. It's kind of like if your kids ever ask you a question and they wait for a response and it takes you a little while to respond 
oftentimes what happens is you don't have silent waiting. You have immediate questions. I know this because I teach. If I ever take more than about a half second to respond to a student, they think I've gone catatonic. Something's happened. They need to repeat the question. They need to check if I'm alive, check for a pulse. Okay, they don't like to wait very much. That's okay. But what this word literally means is it's actually the opposite of that. It means to ask a question and then to wait to see what the response is going to be. Now, part of the reason that waiting on God is a hard concept to understand is the word wait in general, especially in American culture, is almost a negative thing. To wait implies perhaps that you're actually doing nothing. Waiting on God feels perhaps like you're being lazy. But that's not what waiting on God is, not according to the biblical text. Waiting is really a demonstration of patience and endurance and doing what God has asked you to do in a challenging situation. That's what biblical waiting is. The New Testament describes things in these terms in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials or temptations of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces, the Greek word here is actually hyperpatience, literally. It's not just patience. There's a Greek word for that. That's not the word that James uses, but it's above patience. It's literally the highest level of patience that can be achieved. And let this patience or steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James paints the picture of biblical waiting in four different things. It involves trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. It involves obedience, doing what God has asked me to do while I wait. And by doing those two things, what we actually find out, the reason that James uses this specific word is that our patience grows. That's really what this term means in Greek. It's a growing patience. We wait so that we actually get better at waiting. But James doesn't just leave us there. Building more patience or endurance or ability to wait for its own purpose is not valuable. But James tells us it's so that we can be perfect. So that we can be sanctified in Jesus Christ. This, by the way, is, as Romans 8 tells us, the purpose for everything that happens. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. The verses go on to say, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So everything that happens in our life is making us more like Jesus. James says that waiting is one of the ways that makes us most like Jesus. The building up of our patience. This is what waiting on God is. It's not doing nothing. It's continuing in what God has asked you to do with the expectation that God will act. Because that's the second thing that David says in Psalm 62. He says he will wait on God. Waiting on God can be really challenging. Because again, waiting oftentimes to us feels like it's doing nothing. But again, waiting is continuing to do what God has called you to do. In fact, I want you to think of waiting not like sitting in a single place, but waiting is really being given a set of instructions or being given some directions that you need to follow 
even when those directions don't feel like perhaps they're very good. Let me illustrate that with something that my wife and I like to do. We like to go on four-wheelers or four-by-fours. Okay, Does anybody in here like to drive large motor vehicles with big engines that sound loud? Okay, I like that. All right, we like to drive these. My wife, sometimes she's a little bit of a daredevil. She likes to hit water pretty hard. Okay, splashes people. However, there's, you know, something dangerous about going into water with a 4x4 vehicle because most of the time in places you drive 4x4s, you can't see how deep the water is. So you really need to know what you're doing if you're going to drive into water. Otherwise, well, you're not going to have a very good day. You're going to float away on that water, which is not the design. I got this really illustrated for me when we actually went 4x4ing in Alaska and we had to follow a guide. And our guide told us, whatever I do, you're going to do that. That was the instructions, the directions that I was given. And I didn't really grasp what that meant when we were sitting back at the shack, you know, learning how the vehicles worked. And then he proceeds to drive literally up a river. That's us driving up a river. Okay, we're there on the left, I think. You can see us. And and that's a picture Emily took. Okay, we're driving in a river. And we drove in this river for minutes at a time. And I have to tell you that the river was deep. In many places, but the guide knew exactly where to go. My natural instinct was to freeze, to stop. I did not want to follow the instructions. And yet the guide knew exactly where he was going. By the way, I can't see anything. No idea how deep the water was. The water even actually came over my feet. My accelerator was down. My foot was covered. And yet the guide knew exactly where he was going. And he got us not only to our destination, But we got back as well, which I think you probably could have guessed by the fact that I'm here. But he knew what he was doing. And even though it didn't seem like the right decision, I would have stopped at any one of those rivers. If you'd put me out there by myself, I wouldn't have done it. But by following his instructions, what was supposed to happen, happened. That's really what biblical waiting is like. It's not freezing, but it's following God's instructions, continuing to do what God has told us to do expecting that God will get things done. God has a proven track record. Like the sunrise, God always comes through, even though sometimes we don't understand his timetable. Sometimes it takes longer than what we think God should be doing for God to come through, but he always comes through. And again, as Romans 8 tells us, he's always working things out for our good so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. Sometimes the reason God has us wait is because we need to become more like Jesus just through waiting. It's always so that we can become more like Jesus, but sometimes waiting is what's going to make us more like Jesus. Now, again, we're not even out of the first verse of this psalm, but there's another really crucial aspect of verses one and five that I want to draw your attention to because David says he's not just waiting for God. He actually says six times in this passage that he's waiting for God alone. Verse five illustrates this very clearly. My soul, wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. This is a word in Hebrew, ak, okay, pretty easy to remember. If you didn't know any Hebrew before right now, you do now. Ak means only. But what this really means is I've considered all my other options, and this is the only one that works. This is the only solution 
to this particular problem. So he's not just saying, I'm waiting on God because I think God can solve the problem. I'm not waiting on God because God's one of several solutions to this problem. No, God is the only solution to this problem. I suppose I was feeling mechanical today, but let me illustrate this by means of a mechanical illustration, okay? When you have to remove a tire, you've got some options, okay? You've got your wrench, you've got your tire iron, or for all the manly men in here, you've got your air gun, right? Insert Tim Allen, okay, right? We can really gun those things off. But there's a problem in most modern cars if you've ever had to change the tire, your hub caps, after you take them off, might reveal a safety nut that requires a specific key. And if you don't have that key, you can't take the tire off. I know this because several times in my life, I didn't have that key, which really derails the entire project that you're trying to accomplish. There's only one thing available to most people anyway that can get off these tires. There's only one option. It's the exact tire key that goes to your particular safety lug nut. If you don't have that key, you can't take the tire off, at least in the intended way. In the same way, God is the only solution for David's problem. And the reality is what David is trying to communicate is he's not just the solution to David's problem, but he's the only solution for all problems. And so this is why David says, to wait. Only God can take care of this. Really, in this particular psalm, this is a psalm in the middle of things. God does not sweep in and fix David's problem during the psalm. He does eventually. We can look to the historical books to see God rescue David, either from Saul or Absalom, either situation. We know that David is saved by God, but that's where David is. He's waiting on the only solution which is God. But in the meantime, he's going to do something. He's going to take refuge in God, the rock, alone. Now, we see God references the rock multiple times in this passage. Here's one example from verse 2. He only, talking about God, is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Now, this is a word that really brings to mind the protection that God offers. As I mentioned in the introduction, the word rock is not a small rock. It's not a big rock. Actually, English doesn't really determine between those things. Rock can mean a lot of things in English. But this is a specific word for rock in Hebrew. It really means a mountain or a cliff. This is an elevated piece of real estate. In fact, this actually perfectly ties into the words for defense and refuge and stronghold, which dot this passage. Every single one of those terms actually, again, has a precise meaning in Hebrew, and they all mean elevated fortresses. David is painting a picture of a high place. So when we talk about God as the rock, we're not talking about God as the pebble. We're not even talking about God as the boulder, but God is a protective mountain. By the way, music, worship music, really, I think, gets this right a lot of times. We have references to God being a mighty fortress from Martin Luther. We have the solid rock, rock of ages. These are huge defensive installations, or at least a rock big enough that you could build such an installation on top of it. This is really telling us that God protects those who call on him. David is envisioning himself in a fortress, and that fortress 
is God. Now, there's a few things about fortresses that are important to note, though. Fortresses don't do you a lot of good unless you're actually using them, okay? And when it comes to God as our fortress, you actually do have to do something. You have to seek God. God, of course, wants you. He initiated love towards you. He loved you before any of us could ever love him. But in order to be protected by God, we do have to trust him, to seek him, and in fact, give our cares to him. You have to obey God before his fortress of protection is available to you. He's not just a protective fortress for everyone on earth. We understand, obviously, that this could not possibly be the case. He protects those who call on him. And David references this multiple times. I will call upon the Lord. The Lord is the one with power. I will praise him. Now, a fortress, that being said, if you are trusting God, If you're seeking God, if you're obeying God and giving your cares to God, let's talk about what it means for God to be a fortress. A fortress is a place to rebuild and regroup. It's a place to reassess as things around you go sideways. If you feel like in your life right now things are not going the way that you thought they would, remember that God is your fortress. Seek him obey him and use it as an opportunity to reassess what the next steps are. Perhaps just keep obeying while God literally opens up your next step. This is where waiting and taking refuge are intimately connected. Let me illustrate this with a example from a story that is near and dear to my heart and is in fact filled with Christian imagery at the very least. And that is the Lord of the Rings. Okay. The Lord of the Rings. Anytime I can slip a reference into that, I'd like to. In the Lord of the Rings, in the second movie, we have this beautiful example of what it means to take refuge and to be literally saved. The forces of good are on the run. The forces of evil are attacking them and they vastly outnumber them. And Gandalf rides off, but he tells Aragorn that go to the fortress and in three days I will return and I will bring with me the rest of our allies and I will save you from the fortress. And if you watch the movie, of course, the next hour of the film is the heroes defending themselves from the forces of evil and being pushed back further and further and further. But Aragorn, he never loses heart. In fact, several times people despair. They say there's no hope. Gandalf's not coming. And Aragorn always says, I look out and I see the dawn. Gandalf said he'd be here. I believe he will be here. And that's exactly what happens. On the third day at dawn, Gandalf appears with another army and he destroys the enemies. God has promised again and again and again and five times in this psalm alone that he is your salvation. He will save you. You can take refuge and God will save. And that's the cool thing about this psalm. God is not only the place where you take refuge. He's not just the rock, but he's also the salvation that you hope for that will come and will save you from not only your sin, not only death, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but he'll also save you from the situations that you're dealing with right now. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is coming again and he will Save. In fact, he already has saved from the power of sin. He will eventually save. 
from the power of death for all of us. Now, David does contrast God and his refuge and his solidity, the dependability of God with the undependability of mankind. We actually have two separate references to this where man has betrayed David in some way. Verse 9, for example, talks about surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity or air. Verses 3 and 4 describe men as crumbling walls as falling columns. And any way you slice it, the men that David had relied on had betrayed him. Again, it doesn't even matter what the context here is. If this was Saul, Saul is the man who betrayed David. He was supposed to have an incredibly close relationship. He was literally the son-in-law of the king, and yet the king betrayed him and wanted to kill him. If this is describing Absalom, we know of Ahithophel, one of David's own counselors who betrayed him. So when David looks at his options, men or God, it's very clear that men betray. They are not trustworthy. And we are to contrast this with God. God is completely trustworthy. He does not crumble. Men, they crumble. They fall apart. God is the solid rock, the fortress that cannot be broken and the fortress that cannot be defeated. John 10, 28 tells us that nothing can pluck us out of God's hand. That which God protects, he keeps. Now, God is secure. Again, I really can't get out of this section without giving you a history example In a siege between the Romans and the Persians, one of the things they would do is they would dig under each other's walls to try and collapse a wall. And in one of their longest sieges, both sides were working underground for days. They even fought each other in the pitch black underneath the earth. And finally, the Persians had done enough damage that under normal circumstances, they could collapse the Romans' walls. They chopped it up. They expected it to fall, but the Romans had actually piled so much dirt on both sides of the wall that the dirt actually sandwiched an entire multi-ton wall and kept it from falling. There was effectively a canyon underneath it, but the wall itself never came down. This is the kind of fortress that God is. Of course, that fortress did eventually collapse, but God never will. Finally, the last thing that David tells us to do, and again, these are all interrelated. You can't do the first two without this third thing, and that is trust in the rock alone, specifically for your salvation. Verse 7 of Psalm 62 says this, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. The word salvation here literally means victory. This is what the word salvation means. And it's actually a military term. And really, this is referencing the fact that in the situation that David is, ultimately God is going to give him victory. Ultimately, God is going to give him deliverance. Now, for us, of course, we're not in a specific situation like David is where we can take this kind of confidence. We don't have a battle we're fighting where God guarantees us victory in a physical sense, but what God does guarantee us victory over is death. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus 
Christ? Do you trust this morning that God is going to give you victory? Because you have to trust if you're going to take refuge. You have to trust if you're going to wait on God to fix the problem. That really brings us to a cycle here of waiting and trusting. Because this is what David is encouraging us to do. Waiting for what God will do, taking refuge by obeying God's commands because you trust that God is going to do what he said he would. Because the reality is, if you don't wait for someone, you don't trust them very much. Okay, If you're supposed to meet someone and they miss their time slot by five minutes and you take off, you clearly aren't really trusting that they'll ever get there. Perhaps you've been in a situation like that. Someone was supposed to meet you, but you're not even sure if they're on their way. You're probably not going to wait around if they don't show up when they're supposed to. If you don't wait for someone, that also indicates that you don't trust them. You really don't trust if you can't wait and vice versa. Now, the reality is to break this cycle of waiting and trusting, you have to start doing one of the two. Have you trusted God for salvation or whatever is facing you in life right now? Have you actually trusted and said, God, I know you can take care of this. If you have done that, are you taking refuge in God? Have you obeyed him, sought him out? Or have you expected to continue doing exactly what you were doing prior to trusting God and getting a different result? Because you're not taking the protection God is offering if you're not actually seeking him out. Finally, are you waiting on God? Are you developing the patience and becoming more like Christ as God works things out? We have many verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that encourage us to do this. We've already read, of course, James 1, 2 through 4, Lamentations 3:26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. This builds us up in Jesus. Finally, the last thing I want to mention this morning is this passage, this truth ought to result in us praising God. Of course, that is the outcome of nearly every psalm. It is a praise of how God has acted. For David specifically, he praises God for how he has acted in the past, and he's preemptively praising God for what he's going to do in the future. And I want to encourage you with that as well. Praise God for how he's already come through for you, and praise God for how he's going to come through for you in the future. The last thing I want to talk about today is a few questions for you to discuss, to think about today as you go off to lunch or you go home with your family or whatever you do next today. I want you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, is there anything in your life that you need to wait on God for right now? And what makes it challenging? It's challenging to wait on God. It's challenging to continue to obey God, do what he said, while waiting for an outcome. So what's that in your life right now? What makes it challenging? Number two, I want you to think about this. What has built your trust in God in the past? Why did it do that? How have you built trust in the past? And can you trust God with your problems right now? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. Help us to wait on you, to take refuge in you, and to trust you. Lord, we thank you that you have protected us, you are protecting us, that your track record is proven, and that through Jesus Christ we have a guarantee of victory 
Lord, help us to remember that today. Help us to wait patiently on you in whatever situations we face. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we close out our service today. Sing out a great song. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's sing this out as we conclude today. important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.